Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast, live from Melbourne, from Tennis Podcast Towers. For those of us, for those of you that are joining us on YouTube, uh, this is our kitchen. David and I have accidentally matched outfits today, and Matt is wearing his Fulham t-shirt. A mm. little bit of bonus content as a reward for people joining us live on YouTube. Mm. Well, it's Derby Day, and you know we like with these with these live shows to invite people into our world don't we while we're at these slams and i will be watching fulham chelsea tonight mm. yeah at 11 p.m you... i think it's 11 30 great mm. uh david and i have accidentally got ourselves embroiled in a sort of who wore it better situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, d- I did briefly offer to change into an on the boat one um <laughs> but uh the the view was that um you know, the, one of the last times we were doing this, the the words were uttered. So, you know, we might as well wear shit the microphones. Yes, it's fitting in every possible way. And I hope that uh, anybody that's seeing us right now or indeed after uh, after the fact is uh, is enjoying the uh, the visual joy that we're bringing you right now. Uh, this is our media day show we're doing them live for 2024 a uh, media day was yesterday uh props to the wta who brought all of their top players on media day as scheduled two stragglers for the atp as always and of course there's no Djokovic and carlos alcaraz so they're coming in later on today um if they've if they've got anything interesting to say that sounds a bit harsh. Whatever interesting <laughs> stuff they have to say, we will make sure we uh, inform you about it uh, over the course of uh, the next couple of days. Well, probably tomorrow, because Novak Djokovic um, opens tomorrow evening, doesn't he? But um, we've had a lot from Novak Djokovic over the, the past couple of weeks in Perth, of course, at the United Cup. And Carlos Alcaraz, we love Carlos Alcaraz, but doesn't tend to, tend to be a stop the presses media day. No, he's kind a lo- of a guy. He's a sort of lovely presence, mm. isn't he? And he makes the room light up because he's so nice and he smiles and he engages and he's very polite to us all and he, he, he never sort of rolls his eyes at us. So all these lovely things, but you you don't get much in the way of like barnstorming quotes out of it, do you? No, not always. And actually, I've been doing I've been doing some translations of Alcaraz's Spanish press conferences recently for 
I don't know, a project that I can't say too much about, not my own project. Um, but I've been sending those translations to the person and this guy has said, actually quite reassuring that he's not giving the Spanish press much more than he's giving <laughs> the English-speaking press. Either. Whereas Nadal, of course, Nadal, that's been a secret web- weapon for us in some Nadal press conferences mm. over the years. Because, and Alejandro Davidovich for Keen. <laughs> Well, he Never does that on the call. Then you need to go to the press conference. <laughs> what did he say again? Um, he said, Me he cagado. I shat myself. <laughs> I just, I, every so often, I just get him to say that. <laughs> I sort of wish I was wearing a t shirt with that on, to be honest, <laughs> rather than a t shirt quoting myself. Um, but I do love it, hence why I'm wearing it. Um, just before we get into the nitty gritty, I would like to tell you about On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. We are proud to be sponsored by On Location throughout the Australian Open. And for the first time in history, official Paris 2024 travel packages from On Location are available online, making it easy for you to enjoy the thrill of the Olympic Games and the wonder of Paris like never before. It's brilliant being able to deliver an ad read like this with total integrity. <laughs> when I say thrill of the Olympic Games, I I really, really mean it. We got this one right, didn't we? <laughs> uh, your Olympic Games adventure comes with guaranteed tickets to the sport events of your choice and accommodation in Paris, plus world-class hospitality and options for custom tours and activities to immerse you in French culture, food, shopping and more. On Location's wide range of official travel packages has been created to suit every need from shorter stays such as the Discover 2024 package to longer ones like the Explore 2024 package. All include guaranteed tickets to sport event categories A through D sure they're great categories and they come with multiple possibilities for add-on services and elevated hospitality options so if you're interested just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast tours the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast and select olympic games hospitality to see what they have to offer packages can be purchased online or a dedicated on location team member can contact you directly to create your perfect bespoke package. And of course, the link to check them out is available in our show notes and in our newsletter. Um, I asked a few players about Olympics yesterday during media day. I just couldn't help myself. Just on brand. Yeah. It doesn't matter which time of the year. It doesn't I, matter which you were year thinking about the segue in the podcast. Absolutely, right. yeah. Um, in hard-hitting journalism news, I asked about uh, the Eras Tour and the Olympics. <laughs> and actually, but actually... They got good answers. They really, did. Didn't they, they? In, in <laughs> the, the players helped me out a bit and sort of justified my asking the questions. Um, the Eras Tour question was to Igor Svantec, which I guess is perhaps where we should start because we haven't had our men's top seed through the interview room yet. Um, he's he's always late, isn't he, Djokovic? He's always the day after advertised. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I mean, I, and actually, I think for a lot of the journalists, it's actually quite helpful because it gives them something True. today that they can use in publications and online and everything else for tomorrow. You know, to that is just fresh and freshening it all up. And, and the thing is, you only need one or two of that kind of stature i suppose name wise to to carry a piece um but it did i also i'm quite pleased they do it that way because it gives a bit more space for the ones that were yesterday to have their moments and for us to really highlight them mm. 
Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's absolutely not why the ATP or Novak Djokovic <laughs> have arranged for themselves to be late. But yes, there is some there is some upside, absolutely. So Iga Sviontek, on the basis of uh, what we saw from her at Media Day, is she going to win the Australian Open? I mean, I will pick her to win the Australian Open. I'll t- I'll tell you that right now because. I think I pick her to pick, to win most Grand Slams. I think if we were to go back over the last two years, I think I've probably picked her to win every Grand Slam because I just think she's the best player. And and that being the case, she's actually under delivered. Um, what I, what I've no, she has really. I think because I think she could have won them all. Whenever I said that before, um, but you know, I, I I'm surprised she's yet to win either Wimbledon or last year's US Open or an Australian Open. If you'd have told me she'd won none of those in that in that time period, I'd be surprised. It, it, it was quite interesting, though, wasn't it? Because she spoke about the US Open that she won in 2022 yesterday as a surprise mm. because she was talking about, and again, it was Matt Futterman that asked the question about her new serve that she's got this year and sort of how it came about. And she actually said that she was planning to change it all the way back in 2022, but then sort of said, but then I happened to win the US Open. And I thought, (laughs) why, you know, why would I change it after success like that? But it's clearly been something she's been thinking about for a long time. But it is interesting if, you know, if you look at her slam count, obviously she is amazing at Roland Garros. We know that for sure. She's the best player on clay by far. But she's only got that one US Open title. Like, it's a lot more open when we get onto a hard court. And, you know, she said she won that US Open kind of as a surprise. She didn't have anywhere near her best tennis. But I do think since the 2023 US Open, I think I think Sviontek's got better in a way. Mm. I think briefly going to number two in the world was actually a really helpful thing for her. Relieved a lot of the pressure she was feeling. She described the off-season as peaceful, didn't she? And, you know, only only Caroline Garcia has really taken sets off her in, in the last sort of 15 or 20 matches or so. She is in brilliant form. And, um, yeah, she spoke about her her change to her serve as something that she thinks will help her in tight moments. She spoke a lot about she feels like the losses she has suffered have often been because she's tight or stressed or nervous. And I think that would probably be our reading on a lot of those matches as well. She She can seem quite stressed sometimes and the unforced errors can come. So, you know, that's always there for Sviontek, but it feels like she's getting it under control even more. And I, I do think, based on her form, she's she's got to be the favourite, hasn't she? I mean, I just think she, it's so hard to beat Iga Sviontek. And, um, you know, Australia feels like a slam where she hasn't quite played her best yet, but I'm, I'm expecting that to happen this fortnight. It's interesting. She She's done some sort of explaining why she hasn't won those or hinting at why she hasn't won those slams that you were expecting her to 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 win those failure slams david and sort of she explained about um the us open last year she said she was really stressed during during that us open now she didn't tell us that at the time did she um and the same with australian open last year kind of after she lost to rebakina she she revealed that she'd been feeling the the pressure and expectation of of having that target on her back but she's quite hard to read body language wise because she's kind of always pretty taut 
isn't she? It's not like, oh, you can, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty decent body language reader. I'm always looking out for, you know, tightness in the jaw or slightly Mm. raised shoulders. And you can't really tell with her. And she doesn't, she doesn't tell you in the moment. I'm not quite feeling right just now. I mean, fair enough. Plenty of ex-greats will tell you, you know, don't, don't give, don't give anything away. It's a gift to your opponents. But she kind of, does tell you a bit after the fact and there was a I asked her about um I asked her about the era's tour because I knew she was a Taylor Swift fan I asked her about that because I kind of wanted to gauge how much she was prepared to be loose and engage with a fun question because sometimes kind of early on in her career she she was quite up for that wasn't she and Natalie she's just not been quite as as up for that um and she didn't she she did really engage with it to start with she said yeah I'm definitely going to go um I I assume my agent's going to get me tickets she she said something very unrelatable about tickets are not an issue yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. she said tickets are not an issue she's not winning a ticket master queue ticket master queue um then a sort of look of panic came across her face and she went oh I assume my agent will sort me tickets and I assume he started sweating at that point. <laughs> anyway, and then she said something quite revealing. I said, are you going to go in Poland? Because niche Taylor Swift knowledge here. This is the first time she's ever played. This will be the first time she's ever played in Poland. I believe it's a really big deal that the Eras Tour is coming to Warsaw. And um, Shrontek said, oh, no, because everyone will be looking at me. Um, and then she panicked about saying that. And she said, no, no, of course they'll be looking at Taylor. Like, I'm not suggesting I'm a bigger deal than Taylor Swift. And it all sort of, it was all very genial, but it sort of spiralled a bit and I could see the cogs in her brain turning. But that was quite revealing that she wouldn't go in Poland yeah. because of because of the, the worry of the spotlight. I mean, that was a feature of her previous off season mm. wasn't it and That's adjusting right. to all of that and she talked about there having been dis- too many distractions mm. in the last off season so that word that you picked out peaceful i think is is pretty important yeah, I, I don't think we've any idea what it's like to be as big a star and as loved as she is in a country that caesar is quite that big deal. We don't. I don't think we have many stars in the UK that would overwhelmingly stop everybody in their tracks quite like that. Um, and and I think it's even more the case in America. Certainly, like if you put tennis players, apart from Serena Williams, you know, we, we, we we've seen it with these. Um, somebody gets to American number one, like Taylor Fritz. Nobody nobody's mm. making a massive deal about that. It, it bothers him. On the flip side, for someone like Shantek, though, I think she feels really watched wherever mm. she's going. Asaka went to um, Beyonce, didn't she? And she, you know, it it was noted. People noticed that she was there, but you know, it wasn't wasn't a huge deal. I don't think um, there was a um, a very enjoyable low key flex that I enjoyed in in Igor press conference where. It's, it's always fun on, on media day where there's, where there's a local journalist who, who has an angle that he, he needs to ask everyone. And, and the angle this, <laughs> this tournament, of course, is the fact that it's a 15 day event. So he was asking everyone, what do you think about the 15 day Australian Open? And Shiontek said, well, 
it's been that way at Roland Garros and it's been fine for me. <laughs> and I was like, yep, it has. I don't think you've got any problems with that. <laughs> but she's also never played on a Sunday, I don't think, at Roland Garros. And she did kind of say that in the answer. She was like, well, it might be a 15-day event, but I'm not playing Sunday. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, she's never been in on Jabeur's situation of staring down the barrel of losing before the mm. tournament really feels like it started. She, she but... did look in as good a frame of mind mm, on the yeah. eve of a tournament as I can remember. She looked comfortable so. in her own skin. And I was really pleased to see that because I, I worry about Igor Svantec. I found myself feeling like that at the last couple of years' worth of slams. Just, it's a lot for her sometimes, and I don't think she always loves it. And I want her to love it because I think she's so such great news for the sport generally mm. and, I, and, I, and for her own health you know but it's good to see her looking like that speaking of great news for the sport generally Naomi Osaka press conference for the first time in a couple of years well just repeat what I've just said because <laughs> it, it's a similar feeling and more so probably with her yeah it I loved it I, I got a real rush from just being in a Naomi Osaka press conference again Matt yeah the whole energy of the day actually mm. changed when Osaka came in. It was, you know, we'd had some good press conferences before, but it was like, I mean, Osaka press conferences are just so, she's always so thoughtful mm. and interesting and says some unexpected things often, you know, she has a different take on things or something I wasn't expecting. And um, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to be back in one of her press conferences. I get the impression she is balancing, really trying to not expect too much of herself she gave this line she said i keep thinking to myself who am i to think at my f second tournament back that i could have any kind of impact on you know these inc these incredible players at the top of the game but then she also said uh in a way i'm glad i'm playing a seed in the first round because if i get through that then hopefully the next round won't be as hard which is quite an unusual thing for a tennis player to say i mean how many players came through media day yesterday and it was one round at a time one point <laughs> at a time I'm not looking beyond my first round so yeah. there's obviously a tension between those two things I think she's feeling really good and she's like she's fighting me I'm a two-time champion here and I, I can win it <laughs> I feel like I'm playing great yeah but and, and I think we were having all those feelings with our yeah. predictions <laughs> it's, yeah. like it's the same thing like managing our expectations of her as well um yeah, I look. She mentioned feeling a bit stiff and sore, didn't she, after after Brisbane? But she said that it wasn't as bad as she was expecting. She said that because she always feels stiff and sore after she hasn't played for a long time, she was expecting it to be even worse because of you know the long break that she's had. Um, so that was, I suppose, quite encouraging. But it, it does make me think that stringing together that many matches after not playing for so long, I think is going to be tough for her. I think, mm -hmm. I think there might be a, there might be a maximum number of matches that she has here. And I don't know if it's seven that feel, that just yeah. feels like you, so many. You could imagine her beating Garcia looking just sensational and feeling watching it. There's your champion. And yet two rounds later, she might just be in a very different position. Mm. Oh, I'm, you're, you're such realists. I was looking forward to all getting carried away together well, about Naomi Osaka. I'm doing, Come on, David loves getting carried away. I'm doing a Naomi Osaka about <laughs> uh, her chances the way she is, I think. Yeah. I think she's excited by her. Yeah, I think she's excited 
fundamentally about how much she's loving playing the sport mm. of tennis. Yeah. Well, she's okay. been hit, hitting backhands with Amanda Anasimova. Yeah. What is not to love? That was a moment, could wasn't you, it? For the benefit of those uh, joining us in a visual way, could you do the, the <laughs> oh, face that pressure. you made in the press conference room <laughs> when she revealed that she'd been trying to improve her backhand vi- <laughs> via Amanda Anderson? It was yeah. a lovely moment, yeah. wasn't it? Why was I not invited to that practice? How did I not know about that? Like, oh, game recognising game right there. Um I read uh, a an interview, a, a piece that Naomi Osaka, I, I guess it was done in Brisbane, I think, certainly done before the Australian Open, but came out yesterday in US Glamour magazine. Um, and she talked about motherhood in a, in a way that I've not read a tennis player talk about, or, or maybe even an athlete talk about motherhood before. There's, I mean... I found it really striking yesterday that um, quite a few mothers came through the press conference room, which is great. And I don't, it's not that I don't think they should be asked about motherhood. I think it is absolutely superhuman that these women are sitting um, before us juggling not only the fact of motherhood, but the fact that they've, with various degrees of recency, been through pregnancy and childbirth as well. I think that is incredible and newsworthy and a brilliant story. And yes, it is legitimate editorially to ask them about it. <laughs> but there were a couple of, you know, Kerber and Wozniacki's press conferences were pretty much exclusively motherhood. And then Medvedev comes in at the end of the day, who's become a father in the last 12 months, not one question about it. And I feel this massive tension about, I agree it's legitimate editorially, and yet I'm uncomfortable with that total disparity um but anyway back to the the glamour piece for for Naomi Osaka she talked about um how uh struck she was she talked about the the physical impact of pregnancy and childbirth which is uh, maybe it's because it's a a predominantly male press conference room usually but they usually focus on the emotional angle of childhood how difficult if um of parenthood how difficult is it to be away from your your daughter how how is your perspective changed as a result of um becoming a mother all questions that could be put to daniel medvedev the questions that can't be put to daniel medvedev are the questions about pregnancy and childbirth and the impact that that has had on them as an athlete and naomi osaka is there talking about the how shocked she was about what it's done to her pelvic floor and um just how you know, wild it was as an athlete being carrying a human for for nine months and then trying to return to being an athlete after that. And I, I'm so glad she's talking about that. And also um, campaigning for uh, statutory parental leave in the United States, which isn't currently a thing. One of five countries in the world that doesn't have statutory parental leave. Wild. Um, yeah, I loved it all. Mm. And, and, and I had heard her talking to your colleague, Russell Fuller, David, on, on the BBC a couple of weeks ago uh, in Brisbane, where she spoke about the fact that, you know, she's often asked about, you know, being an inspiration for mothers. And she's like, yes, I want to be, but also I want to stress that, like, it's really not normal that I've come back so quickly. I had an incredible team around me that most people just simply would not be able to have. She sort of recognised her own privilege there in terms of 
being able to just have trainers who were working with her every single day to get her in this shape so quickly. And she's like, that's not normal. Like you mm. shouldn't, people shouldn't necessarily be trying to do that or live up to that. Like, and, and I thought that was really important really perspective. Im- absolutely. So, so important. Um, okay. So Osaka is not winning the Australian open disappointing, disappointing conclusion <laughs> of, uh, of that chat. Um, but she could have, a, she could have a run. It sounds like you think. She could absolutely yeah. have a run. And I, I am not counting it out because, but, but, but I don't know how physically robust one can expect her to be and, and how much gas is in the tank, really, for, for, for any athlete returning after such a long layoff to, to immediately go into a Grand Slam, let alone somebody who has um, given birth in that period. And I think, you know, not everybody's the same, are they? Not everybody has the same physical constitution. And and so I don't want to judge her on everybody else. But I'd be surprised. I think I, I think she will win another Grand Slam title. But I don't think it's going to be this one. I just wouldn't completely count it out because she's that good. And uh, she does look bloody fit. When she walks down that rod laver tunnel and touches her own name i'm you know and gets that energy source of of her as a former champion i'm, I'm gonna be like okay she can win the tournament that's a great mover you know such a long way and also when, when she's won her majors there's always been like an incredible like, like a match that was on the edge mm. you know she's always overturned something or with come back surge. from a deficit with a surge and i'm you know is that still there you know i i, I think it probably is but like bloody hope so i bloody hope so but you know it's there was a there was a moment in time where the naomi osaka surge was the best thing in tennis yeah it was the, truly an electric feeling mm. to watch it felt like she'd got a superpower that that she could just push a button mm. the surge button um i i do think i do think what we saw from svitolina last year made me think kind of anything's possible okay because that was a comeback you know, she didn't have long before she was suddenly playing the best tennis of her career, I would say. Mm. Mm. And and Osaka is a way better player. Two other uh, returning parents that can tap a picture of themselves on the way down the tunnel to Rod Laver Arena, Caroline Wozniacki and Angelique Kerber. They both came through the press conference room yesterday um Kerber interesting they're in very different positions aren't they like it feels like Kerber just took maternity leave the comeback she she said yesterday the comeback was always in her mind she said she didn't want to just assume it would be possible she left room for the possibility that the whole experience would change her in a way that made coming back impossible or undesirable but it was always plan a so she kind of took took maternity leave, whereas Carolyn Wozniacki, fully retired, had a lovely ceremony here four years ago. <laughs> really set the standard of what an on-court retirement ceremony gold standard. And now here she is back four years later and, and, um, and a mother of two. Um, I, I didn't get tons out of their press conferences other than they seem thrilled to be here, having a lovely time. Um, Wozniacki... Uh, was asked about the fact that the top 10 now is 
entirely different to four years ago, the last time she played here. There's not a single retained member of the women's top 10. And by implication, she was kind of asked to compare eras. And she very much intended to answer this question in a very bland way. She started off with the... And in fact, Kerber got asked by you, David, the same question, didn't she? Well, yeah, you sort of told me what Wozniak right. said. And Kerber did successfully swerve it, totally yeah. successfully. And I, I couldn't help... I, I, I wanted to then see what she thought, really, right? because Wozniakis <laughs> had been genuinely quite, quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, so Kerb, Kerb, Kerb just said, you can't compare eras, everyone's great. Obviously, Serena may be in a category of her own, but who can say? Caroline Wozniaki started off saying that. It was all going very well. And she said, she said, you can't compare eras, but you also can't compare anyone to Serena. Fine. Pretty uncontroversial at this stage. Um, she said, I think when she was on, she would have beaten anyone playing now. I think Igor Shionte might have something to say about that. I don't know. I don't know. If she, I kind of hate comparing eras. I don't find it fun or interesting, but... Because that, be because that can't, can't really be challenged. It's no. like doing a philosophy degree all over again. <laughs> like. I, I do sort of feel like with a player who's struggled against big hitters a couple of times, Ostapenko, Rebecca, in the last year or two, imagine Serena mm. with the serve full throttle. I think I think Shvantec could actually learn how... I think she will get better. I mean, this is, the, this is what Kerber was saying, wasn't it? That... Shvantec's getting better. She's going to get better. And I do feel like, you know, her top level, her ceiling is so high. But no, it was really interesting to to hear the way Wozniacki was just dismissing this current era. Yeah, because she she ended the answer by by saying um, the old top 10, she referred to it. And I think by implication there, she meant the one that I was in uh, was the greatest ever. Sorry, Martin Navratilova and Chrissy Evans. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I they... was world number one in the greatest ever era. <laughs> uh, just checking before. Coco Goff. Coco Goff was the last woman through the press conference room yesterday. Um, in, in the main press conference room anyway, we obviously went to Emma Radicanu's press conference, which was populated mostly by Brits. We will touch on that um, in just a moment. But Coco Goff, her first slam as a Grand Slam champion. Um, it was her that I asked about the Olympics. She said it's a priority. Quite right too. She Coco. really wants that medal, doesn't she? Yeah, and, and then made a great point, I think, that like a medal, like she sees a, a gold in mixed or a gold in doubles as equivalent to mm. a gold in singles. Like, And I get that. I, I get, get how that. Olympics get how is a level, leveler in that way. <laughs> like a, an Olympic gold medal... Or bronze medal, it's silver I'm really not fussed about. <laughs> um, that is what you want. Mm. It's on your mantelpiece. It, yeah. And, and, and there was a funny moment, I thought, where um, you know she was talking about her potential mixed doubles partners. Mm. And I think there's two mixed doubles teams per nation. And obviously, you know, Jessica Pagula always plays with Austin Krychek. And honestly, they're not great together. They're, they're, not, they're not a great team. No. And the US I, Open was... Yeah, it, it I mean, wasn't I mean, great. they have had some results, but, like, it's not been great for a while. And, like, I was like, Coco Golf was like, so I'll probably play with Rajiv Ram. And I was like, I think that's that's good for you, <laughs> I think. I think that's, like, I think stick with that. You've come out of that yeah. well, I would say, Coco. 
He's, he, he'd, be, he'd be a good partner. Yeah. Energy around. Good. He's he's good energy. I think mm-hmm. very very calm energy. But I think they would complement one another uh, very well. Um, she was incredibly open. I thought Coco Goff. I mean, not that she's ever really not open, um, but she talked about. Uh, one of the first questions, actually, uh, from Tamani Carriol from The Guardian was about a slight tweak to her service motion, which I hadn't noticed. Um, I didn't get to watch all, much of her in Auckland because I was covering um, United Cup in Perth. That's my excuse for not noticing. But um, it's interesting. I was I was poised and waiting for her to just bristle ever so slightly at this question because of how she's responded to questions about the forehand in the past and the suggestion that she might want to or need to or be thinking about making technical changes for that. Um, But she was really open about it, wasn't she? She said, yes, I've made a very small technical change to my uh, serve. It took me two, maybe three days to get comfortable with it. (laughs) It'd be great, wouldn't it? (laughs) Better pull that (laughs) up. Um, and she said the aim is to make the ball toss more consistent, mm. which is my bet noir with serving the ball toss. So I'll I'll pay special attention. <laughs> mm. Yes. How many days would that take? <laughs> more than two or three. More than are available in the universe, <laughs> yeah. and, I think. And, and I thought she gave a great answer, uh, again, to Matt Fussman's question about sort of how long it took to sort of process the US Open win mm. and, and, and all that kind of thing. And she said that she, she'd never had it in her mind that she would be a one-slam person. It, this was such a good answer, wasn't so, it? So it was like, so, you know, it was, it was great. It was a big deal. But, like, it was, a, it, was a, it was a step on the way. Like, she's not where she wants to be yet. So, obviously, it was a big deal. But also, I think she maybe didn't expect it at that slam. She spoke about how she didn't have her best tennis. She maybe sort of slightly checked out of the season, it sounded like, sort of after Wimbledon in terms of like, okay, this isn't going to be a great season. Let's just play a bit more free. And and that obviously created this incredible summer for her. But, you know, she said she wants to win double digit slams. Mm. Again, I wondered if she might... So so there was the answer to that question to Matt Futterman. Um, And yeah, she said, she said, I know some people when they... They just want they they want to get over that winning a slam hurdle, and when they do, it's like, what's next? That's what she said. You know, Dominic Team immediately sprung into my yeah. mind there. But there are there are plenty of examples. But that was never her mindset because she always intended on winning multiple slams. And then it was followed up. There was a follow up question to that: Do are you prepared to put a number on how many? And again, I thought. We're going to get a shutdown here. Oh, We're going to get a, re- a really polite shutdown. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, I want to win multiple. I mean, I guess double digits. And like I've, she said, I, the last, I think it was the last year or two I've, I've wanted to win double digits. And I had a real feeling of discord in my heart when I heard this because of what she told us, I think, at the French Open l- last year about how the stress of all, all already having been anointed as a Grand Slam champion when she was just 15 as somebody who's going to win a Grand Slam title and when's it going to happen and how quickly is it going to happen? Is it going to happen as fast as it did for Serena? That that put enormous pressure on her. And 
Un- understandably, and and probably held her back for a while, and and she got really stressed and quite depressed. And listen, I, I, and I, I just thought, hold on a minute, is it? Well, which is it? Because you you've just given yourself the target of multiple Grand Slam titles, double digits. So you win two more. You've just put this image in everybody's head of, okay, but is she going to reach ten? Like she said. Now, I'm the one with the problem here, right? <laughs> she may be absolutely fine with this, but it it's just, you. Hi, it David. just struck me that that doesn't quite tally with what she'd said she didn't need to hear before. So maybe well, she feels different. You know? Well, yeah, maybe it's a sort of mm. indication that she's changed her mindset. She's, she's better able to, to sort of say those goals out loud and, and, and not feel like it is putting pressure on herself. Um, yeah, it was... It was a great moment, like, mm. and like double digits, like any, anywhere between ten and ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> but that, no, to but. me, to me, that was the feature of Media Day that I take away above all else is the mental approach of Sviantek, of Coco Goff. We'll come on to Raducanu in a little mm. while. All of them, it felt the same to me that 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 what's going on in their heads is having a, ma- a massive impact and they're, and they're, they're admitting it. They're, they're, they're very open about it. Yeah, I texted you, I texted the group at about 4.30pm having come out of Yannick Sinner's press conference, which was uh, the last one I attended of the day, saying I have reached saturation point with the word mindset today. <laughs> <laughs> I very much stand by that. Um, let's let's come on to Radicani. Um because she came into room number two, um, which I think is is quite right. I don't think she'd have been coming in had she not been requested by the Brits. It tends to be sort of top eight players and then any other big, you know, Bosniaki, for example, or Kerber. They're, they're former champions here. Um, so Radicanu room two, but very, very well attended. Um, I, again, I was trying to kind of read the body language because while she's always... I think been genial with the with the press and the British press in press conferences. Sometimes you can see that her body language is defensive, and I think you know I I, I get it absolutely. I I did think she looked a, a little bit looser in that respect, and and then in answer to one of the early questions, she came out with a a killer line to that effect didn't she she said i feel a lot now lighter now than i did for a long time after the us open i'm not playing with a backpack of rocks it's a huge line said everything i've never heard her say anything mm. quite like that before she has talked a little about the pressure and what it was like after after winning the us open but i feel with this with this distance what are, we, what are we now? It's it's two and a bit years, isn't it, since she... Is it two, two and a bit years? That's right, isn't it? Since since she won the US Open. You can really have some perspective. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm hopeful for her. I, the only doubts are about her physicality, and that's very clear from the way she was rating her own game. Yeah. I mean, when she, when she looked us in the eye, she said, look... My game is good enough to basically take me wherever I want to go. Yeah, because she was asked, I think, by Mike Dixon what success for her would look like yeah. this year. And, 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 and she framed it in terms of being able to stay fit and play. But then she sort of tagged on at the end. But if that happens, my game's too good for that basically not to bring about 
big results as well. And I loved, loved I loved hearing mm. that because that's, I think that's true as well. Like staying fit and being able to play, if she's able to do that, the results I do think will come. Like she might not win the US Open. Mm. She probably won't, but I think she'll have big results if she can just stay fit. And, and I, I must say, I do think on that, I am still a bit worried that she hasn't got a full fitness team in place. Like, nothing's really changed in terms of being able to stay fit. Like, she just doesn't rate coaches, does she? I mean, and, and the whole business of what you're supposed to do. Yeah, well, there, there was, I, I agree with you, I should, overall positive and uplifting for Radicani. There was one quite big red flag for me, which I'm, uh, I can't get out of my mind. And that was her line. Um, she was obviously asked about coaching quite a lot. She's got Nick Cavaday with her here in Melbourne, who was a, a childhood coach of hers. She had Jane O'Donoghue. O'Donoghue? Donoghue? Jane. Yes, Jane O'Donoghue. <laughs> Jane O'Donoghue, uh, yeah. She had Jane O'Donoghue with her in um, Auckland, who was also somebody she she worked with when she was younger. Um, look, Max Eisenberg told us in an interview, didn't, this is this is not something, this is not a post-US Open approach to coaches. This is how the Radicanus do things and it's how they're going to continue to do things. Um, she was obviously asked quite a lot about that. And she said... There was a line in there when she was kind of explaining. She said, no one can tell me anything. She said, one of the things I've learned is that no one can tell me, tell me anything because no one has been in my position. Um, and she said, I think that's been, realising that has been part of a toughening up process for me. And look, I get it. I realise that there are some things in life and in sport that you just need to hear that that will only land if you hear them from someone that has been there. Andy Murray with Ivan Lendl. I don't I don't know what Andy Murray what Ivan Lendl said to Andy Murray to get him over that line, but it definitely needed to come from Ivan Lendl, who'd been in the exact situation that Andy Murray had been in with five Grand Slam finals without without winning one. I get that that is a thing, but. Andy Murray's had plenty of other coaches that have been in nowhere near the situation that Andy Murray has been in that have contributed a lot to him getting into those Grand Slam finals and contributed to the position where Ivan Lendl was able to get him and the team over the edge that there is plenty to be learned from other people as well. And I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, psychologists and therapists and all of that and to kind of discard that whole um discipline and whole world of help that's available just because people haven't been in the same shoes as you i i find a bit of a worry and an incredibly isolating um lonely mindset we should have a honk. We that. should have a honk that goes off whenever anyone says mindset. But that sounded so lonely to me because, I mean, literally nobody's been in the position Emma Raducanu has been in. No, nobody. So what? There's only you that you're prepared to listen to in in the world. Yeah, that certainly. that made me a bit sad. She was specifically talking about psychologists, wasn't she? In that, mm. in that answer, and and I did think that it it probably tells you how hard it 
it's been for her to find anybody to trust the last couple mm. of years. And she referenced that as well, wasn't, didn't she? You know, if, uh, would you do anything differently over the last two years? I, w- I probably had to work out how to, who to trust was the gist of her answer. Um, and surrounding myself with the right people. It's tough. It's tough for her to, to know which way to go because she still has that completely independent streak and belief in her own mind and her own opinions and her own. And I think that's been instilled in her and probably reminded to her by, by her dad from what we hear. I hope she works it all out. Mm, me too. I really do. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against the new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Coming on to Andy Murray, he was the, um, the, first, the first through the doors, wasn't he? Nice and prompt, 11.15am. Um, Sort of quite an unremarkable Andy Murray press conference, really, other than the fact that he was kind of pledging, I think, to at least try and make his first round match against Thomas Martin Echeverry less of an ordeal for himself and for us than their two previous meetings. You'd expect him to be hitting beefy shots <laughs> in this match because... And, and there was this great line where he was asked about his previous matches, I think, by Simon Briggs against Echeverry and what ordeals they had been. And he said... Well, I think it's me that made them all deals. <laughs> he said, I think I made all, pretty much all of my matches pretty yeah. physical last yeah. year. Yeah, because Simon framed the question in terms of Echeverry making the match physical. And he was like, mm, I'm doing that myself. <laughs> and, and, and he spoke about his serve, didn't he? He mm. said that in his matches against Echeverry last year, he felt like 
didn't serve well enough. So he wasn't getting cheap points. He makes a lot of returns. So it was a lot of long rallies. And I think he, I think you're right. I think he needs to play a bit more first strike tennis, you know, big serve, big forehands. For all our sakes, Andy. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Daniel Medvedev was the other sort of significant, well, Yannick Sinner as well, although that was a sparsely attended press conference, let me tell you. I had to, I put my hand up to ask the first question because I couldn't handle the awkward silence. (laughs) Uh, Look, it was at the end of the day. Um, I don't think there are any Italian media here yet. So it's it's nothing on Yannick Sinner. It's just, it's just one of those things. And to be fair, Daniel Medvedev, yeah. I was I was shocked at how few people Half were in there for that. Half a dozen people in them. Actually, you talk about interview room too. I prefer that because it's a smaller mm. room. It's a good auditorium, mm. but it's a small, intimate room where you feel like you can have a chat with somebody. I actually feel quite sorry for the players in the big main interview room, which is this wonderful theatre, but you've got this room full of 100-odd seats, probably more, and you've got, like, in Medvedev's case, there were five of us, six of us, something like that, which is great for us. We had a good chat with him. But, yeah, it's it, it's, it's it's slightly awkward. Um, he was asked, actually, well, no, it, it was the, the the first question comes from the, the moderator, um, and it, it tends to be quite a generic one. How are you feeling about your um, preparations? And Medvedev, in his answer to that, led us to what I was intending to ask him about, which was the fact that he'd elected not to play a warm-up event. Um, and he's, he said, um, I know it's a risk, but it's something I want to try. He said, I don't want to get to the end of my career and not know whether this is something that can work. Um, so I thought, why not? Like now's as good a year as any to give this a go. Um, and I followed up and I said, do you like, cool do you consider it a risk and he said sure yeah but lots of things are a risk and that doesn't that's, that's not a reason not to not to go for it mm. yeah no I, th- I thought it was a really interesting answer and, and there was a recognition that yeah it might be a risk for this event but also it might pay off later in the season you know he spoke about how how fatigued he was after the US Open last year you know just sort of relentless schedule if, if he if he had done what he normally does, he would have only had sort of two week training block during the off season. As it was, that was much longer. It was extended. He feels fresh. He looked. He looked fresh. I thought he looked. Mm. Yeah. He was pretty vibrant, wasn't he? And, Which is um, great. But we do know Medvedev plays his best tennis when, when he's, he's bedraggled. totally dishevelled. <laughs> so, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I'm, I'm 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 fascinated to see how he comes out here. I, I think I think he's. I can't quite remember who he's got in the first round. I think he's got actually Rusevori in the mm. second round who reached the final in Hong Kong is is in some pretty good form. I think that would be that would be a big test for Medvedev. I think we'd find out where Medvedev's level is. Great ball striker Rusevori. But I think Medvedev would, would probably quite like that matchup. But um yeah. I love the fact that he's open to trying different things and the fact that he doesn't want to leave any stone unturned and you know it might it might be an amazing decision. And mm. um you know he he's sort of He's prepared for it to happen either way. He's just pleased to have tried it. And I think that's important for him. There was a very New Year, New You energy to Medvedev, wasn't it? It's like he'd been on Instagram and seen some, you know, (laughs) positive New Year affirmations posts and thought, yeah, I'll I'll get on that train. He just looks very unstressed about it all, doesn't he? It's sort of 
just slightly amused at giving something else a try. Um, he's another one who just walks into the room with us and he's just immediately wants to say, how are you doing? Mm. Really nice to see you all again. He's Happy New Year. And he was like, oh, no, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, wasn't, um, wasn't being drawn on the Breakpoint episode, was he? No, yes and no, I would say. Because I felt whilst he was quite pointed about effectively using your words new year new me sort of thing not getting embroiled in these kind of he said she said yeah. conversations in press conferences he actually stated that i don't want to lose energy he and, said i'm going to play less fifa and <laughs> not um, get embroiled and, and i mean which felt very directed towards probably the the back and forth he had with Zverev last year around the Monte Carlo um, saga. It was me who asked him a question, and I asked him how he felt he had been depicted, presented in the Breakpoint episode, which was basically the Zverev episode with some Medvedev shoehorned in as the pantomime villain. Uh, with lots of, And I watched it yesterday morning, and that's the reason I decided I, I wanted to watch it so that I could go in and speak to Medvedev. David left his toasty yeah. at lunch I and was like, lunch. hold the toasty, I need to go to the Medvedev press yeah. conference. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I just wanted to, to ask him how he felt he'd been depicted. And he said, I haven't watched it, but I've seen bits. So he's probably seen the same bits that people have seen on social media. Now, I watched it yesterday morning. I th- I, I intimated before I'd seen it on the sh- on the podcast that I, from the reports I'd read, from the reviews I'd read, that it sounds outrageous to me, that episode that Alexander Zverev is featured as its hero without even referencing the the two accusations of domestic abuse, both of which he denies, one of which was... Uh, told to be insufficient evidence by the ATP, but the second one he's received a penalty order from and which he's now taking to trial against to appeal. Um, those things were not mentioned in that show once. The There was lots of dramatic, uh, almost celebratory racket-smashing shown by the producers as if to show what a passionate guy is, and he's, he's heard to say, I'm a passionate guy, Zverev. The Acapulco incident where he got defaulted from the tournament after just the most awful attack really on the chair umpire by smashing his racket into the chair inches from the guy's feet um, was not shown. That that just doesn't appear. And neither was the Daniel Medvedev monologue after the Monte Carlo match. They show the match, the highlights of it. They show all of the sort of kind of underhand tricks that Medvedev does play in the match, and he does do lots of stuff. I found it very funny at the time. I found it very funny in the Netflix show as well, watching him kick away the the net post thing and all the rest of it and walk off to the toilet the way he does, you know, suddenly out of nowhere. But you don't hear Medvedev's response and takedown, subsequent takedown of Alexander Zverev. The whole thing was designed to show Alexander Zverev as the hero and, frankly, Daniel Medvedev as the villain. That's what, what happened. And, and I think it's outrageous. And, uh, and, I, and I think that Daniel Medvedev thinks it's outrageous as well by what he wasn't saying. 
I'm not going to get embroiled in it. But at the end of it, he said, we all know that's not real life. I'll just say, I don't think he's going to go the whole year without getting embroiled. (laughs) We all know how New Year's resolutions go. (laughs) Um, And uh, we are going to be doing a show for friends uh, talking in more depth about the new series of Breakpoint. uh, And that'll be coming over the next few days we need to finish watching it first um we had to take a break after watching episode four yesterday uh but we will uh struggle through it uh for the sake of friends of the pod um i wasn't expecting my blood pressure to get so high so early in the morning uh yannick sinner the last player on my list to talk about um not lots to say because it was so sparsely attended uh, but I did put the Medvedev comments about the the risk of you know trying something different by not playing a competitive warm-up event um, and again Yannick Sinner sort of started off by saying oh I don't really think of it as a risk but then he did sort of call it he ended up sort of talking through it and and pretty much talking himself into the same position as Medvedev which was this is a data gathering expedition for me. I'm going to see if it, if it doesn't work, then obviously I won't do this again in the future. But obviously he played right to the end of the Davis Cup finals and he said he wanted maximum off-season after that. Um, he said he uh, barely even took a week of holiday. So I, I don't think he went to the Maldives. Um so tough, tough times for uh, for Yannick Sinner. He doesn't strike me as a real Maldives kind of guy. No, skiing, I guess. <laughs> skiing guy. I'll tell you, though, when he, he he walked past me, I didn't go to the press conference, uh, but he walked past me and I thought, I, I was taken aback by how tall he is. And... You're always taken aback by how tall he is. <laughs> At some point, you're going to have that's, to remember. That's everyone's reaction to you as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't move like that. I mean, In Indian Wells, you... you Spent two weeks talking about how tall he is, and he's significantly he, shorter how, than you. How can he be that tall and move that well? I don't think pound for pound, if you can't really use that, can you? I don't know what the equivalent is for height. <laughs> Nobody moves like that in th- at that height. It's it's staggering to me. He's he's it's all that skiing. Mm. He's what he's one of the most intriguing stories of the tournament for me. Because yeah. he's yet to prove anything at these Grand Slams, and he's proved it elsewhere. He's taken our expectations of him to another level, certainly mine, at the end of last year. But he has to do it now at the majors, yeah. and I'm just so intrigued to see if he can. It's it, it's we know it's so hard to carry over momentum from the end of one season into another. It, it just did feel different the way Sinner was doing it. The fact that he was beating all of the top players in that run. It wasn't like he was just cleaning up when everyone was just absolutely on their on fumes. You know, he was he was beating Djokovic in the Davis Cup semi-final when Novak Djokovic has said, I want to win the Davis Cup to turn this into one of my all-time great seasons, maybe my greatest season. The Sinner beat it. It was huge. So it did feel different, but suddenly you come out fresh at the new season and it's like, God, that was actually quite a long time ago. And like mm. narrow in the slam, he hasn't played and it suddenly... It feels hard to carry it over, but I, I agree with you, David. I'm fascinated by Yannick Sinner this this tournament, but I, I do think it's a bit tricky against Van der Zandt in the first round. Like, I, I think he'll win, but he plays Sunday, just doesn't he? A little bit on edge about that one. 
Yeah, Sunday Start, they are um, they're going in big with the Sunday Start this year, which I really appreciate. I remember when the French Open did their first Sunday Start and obviously they were the first slam to do that and the big launch was like, it was Gilles Simon headlining or something, which obviously, you know, bigger deal in France, but still, um, I, I, I like that the Australian Open have, have gone in punchy with their Sunday start and they've got both defending champions headlining their opening night session. They've got Novak Djokovic against Dino Prismic, who is a talented young Croatian player, 18 years old, uh, 178 in the world. He's a qualifier and naming no names, one of our predictions entrants, our first predictions entrant has gone in big with the Dino Prismich to win. And it's not prediction. Reggie. <laughs> it's not Reggie. New Reggie. Um, so that uh, opens the first night session. And then we have another qualifier, Ella Seidel, uh, another 18-year-old, uh, a German, 172 in the world, to take on the women's defending champion, Arena Sabalenka. The night, the day session starts with Yannick Sinner against Botic van der Danschulp. He's in the Onsje um, Burr slot. Yannick Sinner against a tough opponent. I, I agree, Matt. Very interesting. And then Maria Sakkari against now Hibino. And interestingly, on the Sakkari front, we understand that she has employed the services of Ben Crow, who is the psychologist that worked with Ash Barty throughout her Grand Slam winning period. That's another fascinating, fascinating. because he according to Barty, had a massive impact. And Absolutely. I remember hearing him interviewed, he really was something to mm. listen to. And she is perhaps the player of all of the players that has work to do there. Mm. Uh, the second court is opened by Barbora Krejcikovic. She takes on the Japanese wildcard Mai Hontama. Uh, and then we have Andre Rublev against Thiago Saibotvuc. Is that what we're going with? Let's yeah. yeah, let's not say it again. Um, and then we have the night session on the second court. Magdalenette, last year's semi-finalist, tricky opener for Caroline Wozniacki, who is a wild card. And then we have Francis Tiafo against Borna Chorich. Into it. Into it, yeah. Uh, John Kane, Vodafone, Hisense, Melbourne Arena, Leila Fernandez against a Czech qualifier, Sara Bailik, 17 years old, 134 in the world. Yeah, I think she qualified last year as well. And so she qualified two years in a row. Um, just another young Czech. <laughs> so she's probably very good. <laughs> um, Leila Fernandez is somebody I'm going to be watching out for this year. Second on the John Kane Arena is uh, the Aussie qualifier, Dane Sweeney. Uh, he's taking on Francisco. Sensation Sweeney. Sensa it, it's all set up, isn't it, <laughs> for him to be a sensation. Now Milmania is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor old John Millman announced, his, announced ahead of time that the Australian Open was going to be his last tournament. Didn't get a wild card into the main draw. Played qualies, lost in the second round of qualies. Yeah. Um, tough. Tough. The headlines were that Milmania has has come to an end. <laughs> um, Taylor Fritz is third on the John, John Kane Arena. He takes on uh, Facundo Diaz Acosta. What else do we have? Kia Arena, one of my favourite courts. Matteo Arnaldi has got a sensation. Adam Walton. He's twenty four. He's ranked one hundred and seventy six in the world. Is is Adam? 
Um, he's a wild card and he's got Arnaldi. Then we have Elise Cornet, who is uh, a wild card as well. She takes on Mira Timofeva, a 24 year old Russian player. Samsonova against Anisimova. That's what I was looking for. Yes. Third on the Kia Arena tomorrow. For anyone messaging us saying it, saying, I'm coming to Melbourne Park. I'd like to try and bump into you if I can. Matt will be at Samsonova, Anisimova, third on the Kia Arena on Sunday. And very handily, it's the nearest court to the media centre. It is, yeah. It's all coming up Matt Roberts, folks. Uh, and then you can stay You can stay on, Matt, because not before 5pm over there, you've got Sensation, Jason Kubler, against Daniel Galan. Uh, anything else? If I no- won't be there for that. <laughs> Fabian Marajan is on the 1573 arena. Uh, what else have we got? Daria Sneeger. She qualified. I couldn't take my eyes off her in qualifying yesterday. So. I'm, I'm very interested to see whether Marajan ends up becoming anything more than the bloke who once beat Alcaraz. A bit like how Evgeny Donskoy almost <laughs> beat Roger Federer once and probably lived off the did, 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 did beat did Roger Federer yeah. okay. he lived in Dubai? Off that 2017 Dubai, just yeah. after Federer won the Australian Open. Yeah. At least half a dozen years he lived <laughs> off that. Um, Alina Kornaeva is somebody I was going to draw attention to. She is third against Sara Cerebes Tormo on court six tomorrow. This is one for real nerdy tennis fans, but she's qualified. And if you're thinking, gosh, I, I recognise that name a bit, she was big in juniors she won the first two junior grand slams of the season last year and i think she won some junior grand slams the season before so this is her transition she's been a very very big deal in the juniors for quite a long time so we'll see how she can get on uh with that transition into the seniors lloyd harris against Conta alice is a first round jd burridge against tamara corpatch for for british tennis fans is first on court number 13 david had a good time watching Leolia Jean-Jean qualify yesterday. Yeah. She's got Caroline Dollarhide in, in the first round. Court 13 it, tomorrow. It, it's slightly confusing. A lot of the court starts at very different times. Mm. Like, they? yeah, like there's there's like a, a batch of courts that start at 11. There's some that start at 12. I think there's some that start at 1. It's like coming it's, in waves. Would that be Sunday related? I Would that, guess that so. And, and maybe, I think so. I think they're staggering it really, aren't they, across across the three days, the first mm. round. So it is, it is a little bit all, like, check gonna, your apps. It's going to be an advantage. <laughs> Adventure for all of us tomorrow. What's going on? <laughs> uh, we're going with the Igor Swiatek approach of we've done Sunday starts before yeah. and they've they've gone well for yeah. us, um, so we're going to be fine. Um, that's just about it, folks, for your first media day show of 2024. Except to tell you about Usher, our mascot brought into our lives by Katie, um, the 13-year-old Labradoodle. Hello. I don't know if Katie and Usher are with us right now, but hello. Uh, we have our mascots. David's got Francis. Francis. Still can't get over this. I've got Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt has Haida and Soma. Yes. Hello. Uh, oh, hello. Billie Jean, who I believe is watching hey, right hey. now, slash asleep. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Claus Squirrel. Um, we have our top folks and executive producers Greg, Chris, Jamie and Jeff and Matt we've got shout outs can you do them off the top of your head this time <laughs> no but thankfully my phone is is <laughs> not safe and sound today uh, we start with Kateri Swavely in Pennsylvania wow Pennsylvania right Kateri 
Hello, Kateri. Um, what, what was the surname? Swavely. Swavely. Little bit like Sweeney of Dane Sweeney <laughs> sensation fame. True. That's the best I can do. Um, Pennsylvania, though, Hope. not a state that Matt and I have driven through. Hope. Although Matt did go I to did Pennsylvania, go to Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania last year. Yes. Home of Scranton? Correct. From the office? Very good. That's all I've got. I, I, I went to Pennsylvania and and forgot to play and listen to Streets of Philadelphia while I was in Philadelphia. It's one of my, it's one of my big regrets of you've, last year. You've got to go back. Yeah, I do. We also have Eleanor Lucero, who is in Massachusetts. Which is, is a state, state that we've driven through. Hi, Eleanor. <laughs> uh, any more specifics about where in Massachusetts? Uh, Lowell. Oh, I should have thought that through before asking because I actually... We have nothing to say. No, I know Boston and I know Foxborough, which is just outside of Boston. Mm. And um, Eleanor says, growing up in the suburbs of Boston before oh. ESPN and the Tennis Channel, my mum and I lived for Wimbledon coverage on the weekend, watching NBC's Breakfast at Wimbledon with Bud Collins while eating strawberries and cream are among my most treasured memories. Oh, Eleanor, that's lovely. That's the best. Bud Collins. Bud Collins' what memories are good memories mm. to have. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Eleanor. Neck cord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've also got Carolyn, who is in Long Island, New York. Hi, Carolyn. And Carolyn says, trying to get my wife excited about tennis by combining tournaments that I want to go to in warm weather locations with a hotel spa. Indian Wells could work. I think you Carol, so. Carolyn, you're nailing it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely you're, you're, you're nailing right it. Um, New York, a state that Matt and I have driven through. <laughs> <laughs> Got another one of those. We, uh, well, it's the same state. Thank you, Carolyn. Lorna Lamotte in Flushing, New York. Oh. Home oh, of the Billie Jean King T- National Tennis Centre. Wow. Imagine being from Flushing. I'm, I'm imagining it. <laughs> They've got a golf course, haven't they? We haven't played it. We never have time. One day. Yeah. We have a post-Wimbledon golf tradition, don't we? Yes. But we haven't we haven't carried it over to the other, other What majors. info have we got here? Uh, not much more than that. So what was the name of the person from Flushing? Uh, Lorna. Lorna. Tennis Lorna's? I'm struggling. There's a director I've worked with called Lorna on the tennis. Okay, that's that's as good as we're going to get. It's better than silence, isn't it? <laughs> well, Thanks, can, Lorna. You two can pipe down. We don't need anybody else. We've got Lorna, the tennis podcast listener. Absolutely. Friend of the show. Thank you very much, Lorna. Thank you to... Well, 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 we've got one more. One more shout Ooh. out. Oh, sorry, Matt. It's a good one. It's a good one. This says, my name is Deborah Rafson, and this shout out is for my sister Jill and her fiancé, Zach. Jill and Zach are getting married on Saturday, January 13th, hey. 2024, which in Melbourne is today. Oh. And is that where they are, Melbourne? Uh, Deborah says, I live in Boynton Beach, Florida. I've been there. And Jill and Zach live in Brooklyn, New York. Jill and I are huge tennis fans, and she introduced me to the pod. I go to the Delray Beach Open and Miami Open every year, while Jill is a long-time US Open attendee. We both sport our tennis podcast t-shirts, of course. Zach 
since he came into Jill's life two years ago, two years ago, has happily let us convert him into a tennis fan as well. The three of us have even started a silly Instagram account where we rate tennis trophies. Jill and Zach are special people, so please send them best wishes for their big day and a long, happy life together. Zach and Jill, on the eve of your wedding, which I think is what it is where they are, uh, many, many congratulations. Um, if you've bonded over tennis, then I'd say you're, you're set fair yeah. for a long and happy life together. Have a wonderful, wonderful wedding day. You're getting married on the first day of the Australian Open. It's perfection, although it does mean you're probably going to miss the first day of the Australian <laughs> Open. So swings and roundabouts, but have a great day. Um, just as we will be having here in Melbourne, we can't wait. This is, it, it's kind of our first daily, isn't it? Because yeah. um, this is it for us now. <laughs> you can't the, get away the from The first it now. of 16 days in a row, plus a review show for Friends of the Pod uh, recorded <laughs> at the end of it all. We've got our Netflix uh, review show coming for Friends of the Pod as well. Um, just a quick plug, folks, for... Uh, anybody that knows of the wonderful work of Hannah Wilkes, which I know will apply to everybody that is active in the chat on YouTube right now, anybody that follows us on Twitter, frankly, what are you doing with your lives if you don't know about Hannah? Um, we wanted more Hannah for 2024. So we have got her doing a monthly column for us, which uh, from February onwards will be exclusively for friends of the tennis podcast. Um, but because David's very good at teasers and promos, uh, Jack, <laughs> January's edition is available for everybody and it, I mean I don't have the words but just read it because it's so so wonderful um the the link is everywhere isn't it it was in our most recent newsletter I'll pop it on Instagram ad- uh, again today I'm going to keep promoting it uh, sorry to embarrass you Hannah because I know you're you're live with us right now but she's an extraordinary writer and um, we're very lucky to have her on the team so um do check out her writing follow us on Twitter for all of Hannah's work on there throughout the fortnight Instagram as well is where you can get the the BTS of our daily lives on site at the Australian Open. Sign up to the newsletter. Matt Stat returns tomorrow. Don't want to pile the pressure on, but Matt Stat does return tomorrow, Matt. Yes, I better do some work on that today. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, make sure you join us daily from the 2024 Australian Open. It's, it's going to be brilliant. And of course, if you want to become a friend, uh, the link to do that is in our show notes thank you for joining us however you have joined us today it has been so much fun from our kitchen it's not usually as clean as this david did a sort of sweeping everything to the end of the the kitchen island job it's all up there the uh, the empty delivery uh, bags um but yeah it's been brilliant to have your company and we can't wait for the next two weeks so thank you for joining we'll speak to you very soon <laughs>